So this is uh, session two for Daniel. Um, Demonstrate Allegiance to God is its title. And will be believers must stand for God regardless of the potential cost. So, here we go. Believers must stand for God regardless of the potential cost will be in Daniel chapter 3, uh, verses 1 to 6. That's where we'll be at, but we're going to have to... We, we've got to set this up and, and and talk about chapter 2 so you can stick your finger in chapter 2. But when we talk about allegiance, what does allegiance... When we use that word today, what does that look like? What does that mean? Loyalty. Loyalty? Mm -hmm. What kinds of things do we have allegiance to? The United States of America. Well, we're, we should. <laughs> Spouse. Spouse. Now, if I asked this question about 30, 40 years ago, what would you have said? Allegiance to God. What about allegiance to your employer? Yeah. Forty years ago, we would have we would have we would have listed that. People did 20, 30 years in a job, didn't they? Nowadays we don't. We we job hop, especially the younger generation. There's no allegiance to your employer. We can thank the 70s for that, right? When <laughs> employers had no allegiance to its employees. Yeah. yeah. And decided they could pad those bottom lines by laying everybody off during holiday seasons and stuff, yeah. But the allegiance, it's not a word that we use a whole lot today. I mean, right now, it's not, we, I mean, we don't even say the Pledge of Allegiance anymore, do we? It's, it's very rare. Having allegiance, you don't have allegiance to com country, you have allegiance to your cause, right? Yeah. Whatever cause it may be. Not a popular word. But look at the Ukraines and how... That's all it so took, right? It, it's all it, all that woke stuff disappeared <laughs> overnight when Russia attacked, right? Yep. Same would happen here. Just, just give it time. Somebody attacks, it'll all change. All right, so we've got to look at the background because in order to understand chapter three, we've got to look at chapter two. I'm going to quickly go through chapter two. To set this up, because I want to get us out on time, we'll see what happens. So chapter 2, um, verses 1 to 5 of Daniel. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, that's important, be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. 
If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruin. Magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and all that, they were soothsayers. They were prognosticators. They would tell you what the, the potents would tell you, the omens. They read omens in everything, and there were whole books on, you know, if a sparrow flies across the doorframe with the sun at this angle and all that, it means this. I mean, there were whole books on this stuff. Many of them have been used in more recent days um, to predict all the tarot cards and all that. There are books that tell you how to interpret this stuff based on star charts. They've got all sorts of layouts for the star charts and all that. Um, they do your, um, you ever had your uh, signs read? And they look at the year you were born and the positioning of the stars, and they tell you what your whole life was going to look like. No, oh. I've never had it done, but I've heard about. Yeah, it. it's, yeah. it's 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 fascinating garbage. <laughs> yeah, because there is no yeah. It's like really, that's not what happened in my life at all. Yeah, yeah. I had my polymer down at the shore when I was fifteen. I was going to have three kids and a whole bunch of other stuff. I'm like. Okay, well, that's pretty cool, you know, as a teenager, but yeah. uh, I have one. <laughs> well, so Nebuchadnezzar is troubled. He's got these dreams, and he doesn't know what they mean. I'm not sure that he even remembers them. He just is troubled by them, which is why he needs them to tell him, which now that's a whole other level. I mean, it's one thing to have somebody interpret the dreams for you. It's a whole other thing to have somebody... Um, tell you what it is. So then we move on. Daniel chapter 2 verses 10 through 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. So now these are the guys that are the top people in their craft of, you know, foretellings. And uh, the Chaldeans say it's impossible. This can't be done. Maybe the gods could do it, but they don't live here. There, there's no gods on earth. So we jump to 20, chapter 2, verses 26 through 28. The king, Daniel comes forward. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and he has made known uh, to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days your dream and visions of your head as you lay in bed are these and then Daniel's going to lay out the whole dream so Daniel can with the aid of God God has come to Daniel and told him what the king dreamed and what it means which the Chaldeans said was impossible. 
except by the gods. So they recognize that. And so Daniel says, well, I can't do it, but God can. Kind of waving it in their face. Now, you got to understand, the Chaldeans and these astrologers and all that are very puffed up because they viewed themselves, they controlled what the nation was doing through their interpretation of the omens and portents and, and all that. So they're, you have to understand, this is manipulation at the, at the top end. These are the guys who have all the data from the NSA and all that, and they come to Congress and the president and all that. This is what's happening. Nobody knows what's really going on, but they just tell you what they know is going See, it's the same thing. They read spreadsheets. These guys read stars. Do they really know anything? No. Only God does. It's funny. We, we, we've got the same kind of people today. The magic is now on the computer screen. All right. So then we come to chapter 2, verses 46 through 49. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel. Daniel's laid the whole thing out and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and so he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the providence of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. So the home country, Babylon itself, is now ruled by Daniel. There's the king. He rules the empire. Daniel rules the, what is Babylon, which is the home you know, the home court. Like D.C. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, he's in charge. And his friends have the outlying districts, all the townships that are around uh, Babylon. So the, because he was able to do this thing, and he is now set up, he is the vizier over all the soothsayers and astrologers. All, all those people answer to him. That's his department. And he's in charge. So that's where chapter 2 is. This is what happened. We know that he dreams this dream of this statue, this uh, idol, this uh, thing. There's the head of gold, a chest and, and arms of silver, a stomach and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of clay. And it's even explained to us. We didn't go into it. But we know that the head of gold is who? It's Babylon. It's Nebuchadnezzar. He's the king. He's the head of gold. That's important to remember for the next little part here as we go. So Daniel and his friends are honored. They have risen to pretty much the highest point that they could. So they came in. They were slaves, essentially. They were captives from Israel. Spent three years studying all this stuff. They've been trained to be wizards and, and magicians and, and all that. They, they know all the books. How to read the stars. How to read the signs. Uh, and what it means. And they're just doing their business. And, and now they have risen to dizzying heights uh, in the king's thing. Any questions? Alright, that's our background. That's the setup. So now, 
There we go. Uh, Daniel chapter 3. We'll start with verses 1 to 18. This is a long section, so um, somebody who's got a lot of breath <laughs> should read this. Uh, go ahead, somebody, nice and loud. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, and the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, in a furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men to the um, king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image I have set up? Now, if you are ready when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. All right. Huh? She read that good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nebuchadnezzar has set up an idol. Let's talk about the idol. We're not sure exactly what the idol was. Some say that it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, others say that it was uh, Dagon 
or not Dagon, um, Murduk, um, for uh, the king uh, was that was the god of Babylon. Um, what we see here is that he was honoring himself likely as the king um, in this statue. My guess is it was a stylized statue of the god with his face on it. Now, um, I find it interesting. I thought I put that in here somewhere. Uh, that's all right. Um, the statue the, for the king, or for this god, was the god of wisdom and knowledge, poetry and writing, that sort of thing. Which, if we go back to chapter 2 and look at the description of the statue or the, uh, the, that was in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the gold head was Nebuchadnezzar. It was supposedly the highlight of the um, kingdoms to come. That he was the golden age. And that those who come after him were decreasingly <coughs> less um, grandiose. Less grandiose. So, yeah, that's a great word. So, uh, get this in your mind. That's what Nebuchadnezzar took away from this. He has this dream. The dream is bothering him so much that he summons all his people of wisdom to tell him the dream and tell him what it means because it's bothering him. God's poking him with this dream and it's really bothering him. And he gets this whole explanation. You can go back and read the whole explanation that Daniel gives. And what does Nebuchadnezzar take away? My kingdom is the pinnacle of all kingdoms to come. This is as good as it's going to get. So he goes out and he builds a huge statue, 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, massive golden idol to his God, because that's what you did. It's When you win battles and stuff, it's because your God is better than their God. It's a, it's a battle of wills. And so it's probably stylized that it looks like him. kind of sort of looks like him, but you know that it's the God. And he wants it to be, because I'm, I'm the best that is ever going to come. I'm the top. I'm the gold head. This is what he takes away. This is not what God was trying to tell him, though, was it? But that's what Nebuchadnezzar takes away. It's this whole pride. I'm the man. So... When he makes everybody worship it, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek because you're worshiping the God. But what are you really worshiping? Nebuchadnezzar. So why was the king confused by the men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's lack of respect for him? Because of pride? Well, because of pride? He had put them into positions of power with the wisdom and the knowledge and everything. Right. But the, where did it really come from? God, yeah. God, yeah. It came from God. But does Nebuchadnezzar recognize this? No. No. Well, it was also very counter-cultural. 
Yes, Nebuchadnezzar truly did not understand the Jewish culture. Now, I want to point out, why did Nebuchadnezzar offer them a second chance? Because he respected them. Because of Daniel. It may be, but I don't think so. Because of Daniel's interpretation. Again, maybe, but I think there's something else in play here that we overlook. How did Nebuchadnezzar know about them not worshipping the, the statue? Somebody came and told him. Yeah. Yeah. He knows that they had done him a great service. But it's the Chaldeans. Oh, great king. There are those who don't worship. So it's secondhand knowledge. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't really know, does he? And these guys have already done. He knows who they are and what they did and, and, and all that. So he gives them a second chance. We often think it's because he, he, you know, that he's trying to do it. But I think it's because the guy, these guys came and accused them. This is accusation. And he wants to make sure that he's got his facts straight. Because he doesn't want to, he doesn't believe. Who wouldn't worship me? I'm so amazing. And these guys have served me all these years and they've done it well. I mean, I set them up. I put them in positions of honor because they've done great service to me. I don't really believe it, but okay, you're saying it. I haven't brought, let's see. You guys worship the statue, prove these guys wrong, and it'll all be good. That's that, that's what's going on here. I don't think we ever think of it that way. We just think that they're, but that, that's what these, these guys, the Chaldeans got showed up by Daniel. Nobody can do this. Only a god. So now Nebuchadnezzar has made this request. Now why did the men respond the way they did? Why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond the way? Because they're not supposed to worship any graven images. Yeah. They were they, also showing respect for the king. They, well, yeah, they, they could not worship the statue. The whole reason they're there is because Israel had been idolaters and God punished them. And they, it, remember, Ezekiel's happening at the same time. They've, and they live out in the providences. They live out in the townships. Probably one of them is in the area where Ezekiel lives. And they're hearing the prophecies of Ezekiel during this time. And uh, all bets are off on whether they're going to not follow God. So their alliance or their allegiance is declared. Now we're in section 2. Yeah, section 2 of Daniel. God's sovereignty over the times of the Gentiles. This was something that Israel was not aware of at their time. We understand it today because we're Gentiles. Gods were regional. They were local. They, they didn't see the gods as having worldwide power. And even the, even the Jews didn't see God is being a worldwide... That was their God. And the temple was there and all that. The fact that God had power beyond them or that he even knew that the Gentiles existed uh, is not a concept. They didn't have a global concept of that. And so what they're learning is, is that God is actually in charge. I mean, they believed in him and that he had power over them. But the whole idea that, they had, that God had power over other peoples. 
I mean, the, the going idea was is that the gods would give you power to go out and conquer and make them part of you through conquest, and then that god would expand his range. I mean, that's what you did. That's why they would take all the stuff from the temple and they put it in the temple of their god because now he's over them. See, there's, there's this whole idea. We, we think of God that, he, that he's out there and over the whole world, but they didn't have this large a view. And so their allegiance is to their God, which nobody can understand. You lost. The war was over. Our God beat your God. Our troops beat your troops. We're in charge. Why would you worship a God who <clears throat> failed? I mean, that's kind of the mentality. And they say, no, we're going to worship our God still. Nebuchadnezzar wants to be glorified. He's the gold head of the statue. He's ruling the world. His God is better than your God. I don't get it. Why aren't you? Why, just, just worship. Just fall down and do the thing because we're so much better as Babylonians than you as Jews. The three refuse to capitulate. He, they will not. They, they, they're given the choice. And they're like, we're not going to do it. <laughs> don't, even, don't even bother wasting your time firing up the orchestra because it's, it's just not going to happen. This makes Nebi mad. <laughs> Nebi is outraged. I get tired of using up all right, this. Yeah. So Nebi, Nebi is outraged over the whole thing, and that's what we'll be looking at in the moment. But um, I wanted to put this up because I think this, yeah, Theodore of, of, of yeah, Pry, back in three hundreds, four hundreds, said this: We embrace the Lord's planning and providence, and without knowledge of what will be of benefit, we leave the helm to the pilot, no matter what he wishes. This flies in the, the face of today's thinking that, you know, it's me and God, and, and I'm going along, and God is my, he's my helper. Our co-pilot. Our co-pilot. <laughs> this flies in the, the no. We don't know. We don't understand. We don't even know what will benefit us. What we think is good for us may not be good for us. I mean, that, that we, we think we know what's good for us. And we, God, you just need to give this to me. And God knows what it'll do to us and says, no, 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 no. We leave the helm to the pilot. He's the pilot. And we do whatever he wishes. And we go the way that he wants to. That's our choice. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know what's going to happen, but we're not going to bow your statue no matter what. Play all the music you want. Make all the proclamations you want. It ain't happening. Dude. Uh, comment, question. They still showed the respect of the king. Oh, yeah. It was a really good thing. Yeah, well, they, they, they respected Nebuchadnezzar as, a, as king, but they just didn't see him as a god, which is what he wanted to be seen as. All right, let's move on. We're going to run out of time. Okay, so here we go. Daniel chapter 3, verses 19 
through 23. Somebody. When Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell, down, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then king Wait, that's your good. Oh, yeah. 23. Um, <clears throat> how did these men, how did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego become so confident in their actions? What gave them that ability to stand before the king and all the satraps and governors and Chaldeans <clears throat> and all of them and tell him no? I think because they feared God more. I don't know whether this but is... But how? Thing. How did they come to this ability? Go ahead, Carl. I think it's because they've been living their lives that way all along. Okay, sure. We go back to chapter 1. They chose in their heart not to defile themselves. That's what they did. Not how did they know. I think it was through Daniel's encouragement. Could be. Trust, allegiance. Okay. They just trusted. Oh, I was thinking like Christians. <laughs> we got to think like, like uh, eighth century Jews. Jews. They yeah, they came from Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. What was going on there? They were taken into captivity. Yeah. Because their unbelief. Huh? Because their unbelief. Yeah, Jerusalem was full of unbelief. Idolatry. Idolatry. They had idols stacked up in the temple. They learned their lesson. Did they? Well, I don't know that they learned their lesson. I think they learned a different lesson. I think that these men were those who were not living like everybody else. They, they came from families and whatnot that were honoring <coughs> God. I think that they knew the law. Clearly, when they show up in Babylon as young men in their teens, they knew they couldn't eat the food that the king was offering. That they couldn't live that way. They were taught. They were trained. The only way they could have known that as if they had studied. Their family had brought them up right. Yeah. Their they came from families that taught them. Parents. Fathers that cared to follow the law in a place where nobody was really following the law. Think about that. God exports the Jews from the land to Babylon because they are not living the way God wanted them to live. They're not living the law. They're worshiping all the idols and putting them up in the temple. They're going out to the Asheroth groves 
for all the sexual pleasures and orgies that go with her worship. And they were enjoying it, all the high places. This is what they were doing there. Here are three men from three families that show up as young teenagers, somewhere around 15, 18, maybe as low as 12. They know they're not supposed to do this stuff. And they make the decision not to. Now they're called before the king because they're not worshiping the statue. And they're like, look, we, we, whatever you want, king will do, but we're not doing that. We're, we're not going to bow. We'll take whatever punishment you got, which they knew was to be thrown into the fiery furnace. Can I ask a question? Sure, go ahead. I'm kind of curious because one of the thing, one of the chapters that I remember a lot of, I think is in Ezra, where Ezra read them the law, but they weren't familiar with That's it. after this time period. after this. Yes, this is, that's long after this. So that hasn't, we haven't gotten that far yet. Okay. That's you know, what I that, that is yet to come. That's after they spend all these years in captivity. Okay. All right, so here we go. We see Nebuchadnezzar is filled with fury. He has been now embarrassed in front of all... I mean, this is like somebody calling out the president in front of Congress. And he's got a statue that looks like him that they're supposed to be worshiping. And these three guys... Who do you think you are? He's furious at this. He orders his mighty men, not just soldiers. When they talk about the mighty men, these are the guys who are the elite of the elite of the elite who served as his personal bodyguards. SEAL Team 6. Yeah, this is SEAL Team 6. And he wants them bound. Now this is interesting. In their cloaks, their tunics, and their hats, what was the normal practice for execution? Nakedness. Nakedness. Yeah, what did they do with the clothes? Lots. Yeah, they were often, they were given to the soldiers who performed the duty, and they would divide them up. Nebuchadnezzar, this, this speaks to his fury. He wants them bound in their cloaks, in their tunics, in their because the soldiers, soldiers' pay wasn't that great. They made their money on looting and pillaging, and plunder. He's not giving. So basically, he's taking money away from these guys because he's so mad at this. You understand this? This is this, when we say he's furious. These are the guys who guard his back, and he just took money out of their pocket to have these guys punished. Um, it's pretty bad. So we have the persecution is intensified. First it was just, you know, oh, these guys aren't obeying. They're not listening. They're not bowing and all that. Now here's your second chance. And now we've ratcheted it up. Seven times hotter. The furnace is likely what they use to process ore. It's a large apparatus that they would heat. They would put ore in from the mines and get the iron out. So it normally would have a temperature um, of 1,650 degrees Fahrenheit. That's what it takes to melt ore. Um, so if they're making iron, which at this point 
their armies would have had iron swords and the like. Um, the, the, the normal temperature would have been, you know, probably 1,700 degrees or whatever. He tells them to stoke it up to seven times hotter, which would put it somewhere around 11,550 degrees. All right, that's a little hot. Um, normal cremations. If you have a body cremated, you go down to the crematorium, and they put it in the oven at 1,100 degrees Fahrenheit for three, two to three hours to consume the body. So if we cremate people at 1,100 degrees and this thing is 11,000 degrees, we're talking serious, you know. A human essentially uh, vaporizes, and the only reason they know this is because of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. A human vaporizes just the all the water in you boils and you just go psh, and you're gone at uh, 6,558 degrees. So at 6,000 degrees, you're gone. This thing is probably at 11,000 degrees and they're going to toss these guys in. Actually, the guys that go with it, what happens to them? They were killed. They're consumed by the fire because it's so hot. Because at 6,000 degrees, you vaporize. You're, uh, all the liquid in your body boils, and you basically just explode. Um, <laughs> so normally clothing is stripped, and it cost Nebuchadnezzar his best soldiers just to toss these three guys. Do you understand how mad he is? How Now, his anger is totally what? Well, it's unreasonable. It's self-centered, isn't it? Mm -hmm. All because these guys made him look a fool in front of everybody. Pride. It has now destroyed his best troops. And in a minute, it's going to make him look really foolish. H. A. Ironside, I think, puts it the best. Rest assured... There will not be a saint, then, who will regret having suffered for Christ or bore reproach for his namesake. But there will be thousands who will, would give worlds were they theirs to give if they had but more faithful and devoted while in this scene of testing. The idea is, is that we don't often stand for God when we can well, we should. Because we look at guys like this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and what happened to them? We look at what happened to missionaries who go overseas and are killed by the very people that they're trying to help. Uh, we lose nothing. We think we do when we stand up for Christ. We're living in a world where it's, not because it's becoming not popular where it isn't getting any easier to be a Christian. To choose the right way. To stand for integrity when your boss wants to fudge the taxes and you're filling out the paperwork and say no. Uh, it could cost you your job. <clears throat> but God calls us to life of integrity. When you're, you know, you're, you're in those scenarios where you could do one thing and it would be the right thing, but it's going to put you in a bind. 
People don't even want to get involved anymore with crime. Well, I didn't see anything. Can I go now? Because, you know, it might get you in trouble. It might get you... Ironside says that nobody that does the right thing is going to regret it. The regret is going to be those who didn't do what they should have done or could have done uh, with it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said they could not. There's no way we could bow. We don't know what's going to happen, but do your worst. Throw us in the furnace. It's fine. Because we know what God's law says. We're going to act accordingly. And we see what happens. <laughs> he is so outraged. You, you honor your God who I defeated more than me? How dare you? I'm the conqueror. You can just see him pounding his little fist, right? <laughs> He's throwing a little temper tantrum. <laughs> Your God is not as powerful as mine. <laughs> when we honor others over God, we're giving in to that. Because everybody knows what God wants. The Ten Commandments are plastered everywhere. Even in our most woke society, we know what's right and wrong, don't we? They just choose not to do it. Because, well, my God won. You're, you're, you're losing. Just look at society. There are more people like me than there are of you. I must be, we must be doing the right thing. Yeah, that's the world we live in. Comments or questions? Okay. One more section. Daniel chapter 3, 24 through 26. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. We all love this story. I mean, if you, were, if you grew up in church and were a little kid, you know, you, you had this story and all the cute pictures or puppets or flannel graphs and all that. And it gets told like at least once a year all through elementary school. But it's, it's a great story. But there's four men and they're walking unbound. That is a phenomenal. I don't think we, we, we just think about this for a second. Who tied them up? Soldiers. The soldiers, the mighty men. These guys were furiously strong because they were the best of the best of the best. They would have been bound. The, the ropes didn't slip off, did they? No. These guys would have been bound so tight. And remember, they're in their garments, their cloaks. So if you have a cloak wrapped around you, I mean, think of a tarp pulled around you tight and ropes tied around you by the strongest guys you know. Are you getting out of that? No. No. And then there's this, son of the gods. 
some of you have other versions that say that it, it's the um, Son of God. And there's quite a bit of debate over whether or not it's, the, it's a theophany, which is the pre-incarnate Christ. As when um, it's Jesus before he was born. He's as God. It's what we believe was at the burning bush. It's what we believe came to Abraham um, with the other uh, two angels uh, and the light. I don't know if this is a theophany. I don't know if this is um, the pre-incarnate Christ. For the simple reason is, is that these guys are walking around. If you stand before him in all his glory, what is the normal response to that? Fall on your face. To fall on your face and worship. We see it happen with angels, but every time the angels show up in the Old Testament, what do they tell them? Don't worship me. Yeah, don't, don't worship me. Get up. Don't worship me. And all that. These guys are walking around. They're not worshiping him. So I don't know that this is the pre-incarnate Christ. It may just be a regular angel. I don't know. But there, there is, there's a lot of argument and debate out there um, amongst uh, evangelicals in, in that. There's nothing clear in the passage. Um, does it really affect our faith? Yeah, it doesn't change the story at all, whether it's an angel sent by God or if it's Christ himself that's there, we don't know. It's irrelevant. Now, what I want you to look at, because this is what it's about, all these leaders, the top brass of Nebuchadnezzar's government are all standing there. What effect do you think this has on them? <laughs> You're in shock, I think. You think they're in shock? I think they're in fear, too. They're in fear. Yeah. Yeah, because of the rage of Nebuchadnezzar. I am God. I built a statue to myself, a monument to my godliness. I am powerful. I have conquered all the nations. This is his declaration. And his whole thing was, nobody's going to save you. I'm throwing you in there, and I'm going to make sure that it's even worse than that. And now God shows him up. This is a power play. Nebuchadnezzar's on a power trip, and God brings the power play. <laughs> Throw them in there. They won't worship you. They won't worship your statue because they're worshiping me, so I'm going to save them. I mean, you think about, this is what's just been driven home to these leaders. And remember, the Chaldeans brought this whole thing on. They stoked the flames in Nebuchadnezzar. They stroke his ego. Oh, great king, may you live forever. There's these guys that won't obey you. There's these guys that don't listen to you. They won't worship your, your what? There are people out there who don't worship me? How could that be, right? This whole thing has been about Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Did he get out of the story, the dream, what he was supposed to? No. He got out of it what it means for him. What we see is that God is honored. Yes, this is a time of Gentiles. This is a place 
of the Gentiles. God's not worshipped here. Right? Well, that's not quite true, is it? There are three guys. Three guys are worshipping God. God heard them. And in a fit of outrage by Nebuchadnezzar, God is going to be honored in a manner that is beyond anything that Nebuchadnezzar could, could do for himself to honor himself because he can't pull this off. First of all, there's an unbelievable fourth man. There's a lot of things that are unbelievable in this story, right? And Nebuchadnezzar makes it clear that it's unbelievable. This can't happen. The, just like the Chaldeans in the first, in chapter 2. It's not possible. It's unbelievable. Nebuchadnezzar loves impossible tasks, doesn't he? Tell me what I dreamed and then tell me what I did. Okay. God says no problem. Here. Hold my wine cup. Right? Here's Daniel. <laughs> Daniel shows up. Nope, I don't know. God does. And he shared it with me. Now these guys show up. Nobody can live in this furnace. It's 11,000 degrees. You're going to explode at 6,000 degrees. This is almost double what it takes to vaporize a person. Unbelievable. Fourth man. Now this is interesting. Unbelievable. They're unharmed. This is really odd. You got guys standing in a fire... And the only thing missing is what? The, the ropes. You ever think about that? <clears throat> their, their, their clothing? Not burned. Doesn't even smell like smoke. Well, that's the next one. <laughs> but there's, I mean, the, the ropes are the only thing that burned. The ropes had to be burned. So God, I mean, this is a miracle uh, that's just a little more amazing than when you were a kid. Because if you think about it, they're, they're bound with the ropes wrapped around them. And for the flames to burn the ropes off of them, there, there should be some scarring on those arms, right? Maybe around the neck where the rope would have been tied really tight around the feet. And, and there isn't. The ropes are just gone. And they're just wandering around the furnace. <laughs> and when they come out, this is, again, unbelievable. How many unbelievable things can you do in one little section? Of time. I mean, this, this is unbelievable. No smell of smoke. How many of you ever been to a campfire? You ever sat at a campfire or just been in the presence of a campfire? Maybe you just drove past a campfire. That smell is on everything you have, and it just doesn't get its days. Right? Your clothing just smells. You gotta wash them. They don't even smell like so. I the detail that that detail is recorded tells us. Oh, I mean, that just brings us to a whole new level of unbelievable. I mean, I don't even smell like smoke. Daniel chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered to, together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. They, do you understand what they're saying? The fire did not have power over them. There was a god of fire in the ancient world. Every nation had one. A god that was of that because fire was powerful. Fire was a weapon. You would use it to burn the fields. 
In a few years, the Greeks are going to show up with Greek fire because they can contain it in jars. It's basically gasoline. And they would fill up things and they would throw them, the first mobtail cocktails. They would use catapults to launch it into cities and burn the cities down. Fire was to be feared. Nobody could stop it. I mean, you put sand on it, you throw water on it, and it'd still burn. And then you get a fire as hot as that thing was, you just didn't put it out. I mean, you look up many of the big blazes down in Philadelphia. Yeah. 20, you know, they're calling in 20 fire departments, and it's days before they can contain some of these fires. Fire had no power over them. It was powerless. That statement is phenomenal. With all our science and technology, we can turn fire on, we can turn fire off, we can make it bigger, we can make it smaller, but we can't make it not affect things. Fire consumes everything. It is powerful. But this fire had no power over them. The hairs of their heads was not singed. Their cloaks were not harmed. And no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel to deliver his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command. That His command is set aside by this God they worshipped which he had just been screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm in charge! But he's not in charge of fire, is he? He's not in charge of smoke, is he? He recognizes just what he's dealing with. The power of this God was beyond anything that he could imagine. And he yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. It was all about him. And Nebuchadnezzar learns it's not about him. It's about their god. We think that he's not in control today. Our world is spinning out of control there, we, we've now got a war. What are we in there? Second week? Third week? Are we in three weeks yet? In, in Europe. And nobody seems to be able to get a handle on what's going on or why or how. And it's getting ugly. You know what? The God who has power to control fire is still in charge, isn't he? The calm that we see of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego standing there before the king under threat of being thrown in is the same peace that we can have by choosing to serve him. We know what his will is. We know what he expects of us. Are we doing it? Johnny Erickson Tata. You know who she is. God has different purposes for his own. Notice it's his own. We, we don't own ourselves. You ever stop and think about that? If you belong to Christ, you're his. You're not yours. You gave up your rights to yourself. That's what being a Christian is about. 
And he shows himself strong and gains glory in different ways throughout each of our lifetimes. And if he allows suffering in our lives, he does for very specific, very important reasons. And he does not do so lightly. He doesn't tell us why. But he does so because he needs to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego needed to be thrown into the fiery furnace. I don't think anybody would choose to have that done to them. I don't think anybody would choose to be martyred. I don't think anybody would choose to be fired from a job because they stood for what God wanted. That's the world we live in, though, isn't it? It was that way in their day, and it really hasn't changed in our day, is it? Oh, it's not a threat of death. At least not yet. A couple of things to take away with us. First, we can express trust in God in all circumstances. I don't think anybody is going to stick a spear in your back and tell you to worship an idol today. Probably not even tomorrow. Not likely in our lifetime. But they may <coughs> threaten to fire you. They may threaten to kick you out of your house if you don't do what they want you to do. To worship their gods. Because that's what it really is. Our world is, is full of the gods of power and money. <coughs> and they're not statues. They're institutions. We can expect non-believers <coughs> to take extreme action. This is what Chris has been talking about. We don't expect the world to just continue <coughs> playing nice with us. There's going to come a point where we're going to have to decide whether we're going to stand or if we're going to go with what the world is doing. We're moving there very quickly where it may be illegal. Oh, I don't think that it'll ever be <coughs> Russian gulags, at least not in our lifetime. But it may mean that you can't work here. You can't own property, or you can't do this, that, or the other thing. You may have to wear special emblems or clothing or whatever. We can expect them to take extreme action. And thirdly, we bring honor to God through our faithfulness in Him. Whether it's big actions or small, He is honored when we do what we're supposed to do. When we follow him, we honor him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for examples that have been given to us and hardships that they've already faced. Lord, so that we would have the knowledge that it is possible to stand for you in trying times. Lord, give us strength in our world as it moves today. In your name we pray.